hot topic we get fired up about. I'm Kevin Leeson. The big blow-up. Not as fun as it sounds. I'm Alan Newell. Holding people at gunpoint in a cave. No wonder you're remembered as a tool. I'm Joe Fulgham. I can't come up with an intro, guys. I'm burnt out. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. See, when I was making this episode, putting mm-hmm. it together, I just called it Wildfires. But Alan Newell, you're saying to me, now it's called Wildland Fires. Well, wildfires mean basically anything in the wild that's on fire. Uh-huh. They're most mm-hmm. commonly associated with forested areas. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas wild Those are land, the burnable parts. There are bog fires, oh. grass oh. fires, prairie fires, uh-huh. which are all wildland areas. Okay. Okay. Even to a certain degree, uh, a city park like Stanley Park which we don't really think of as the wild. It is still wild land. Oh, okay. So, that's, so I just tightened up the... If I don't sure. mow my lawn for long enough, it becomes wildland. How big is your lawn? Uh, I live in an apartment building, so it's got like we got a grass strip like right. about a foot right. wide by about mm. six feet long. Yeah, I don't so know. Somebody, paid, somebody mows that for him. Mm-hmm. That, that might be up for debate then. Whether that can ever become a wildland. Yeah. Oh, okay. And in Australia, they are called bushfires. This is what um, I believe uh, are... Right, special helper Derek. And yeah, and that's just Derek regional Derek. terminology. Because that's all they have is bushes, right? Well, no, they got big trees. It's good. Could call it a scrub fire. I had a bush fire once. Penicillin cleared it, cleared it right up. Nice. Yep. Uh, and I would like to take this moment to thank Derek and Dave and Corey and Spencer, our super awesome research helpers. Nice. Check out our Urban Fires episode if you're interested in more fire-based podcast mm-hmm. shenanigans, mm-hmm. non-wildfires. And I think we will do an arson episode. In the future. Seems reasonable. Seems perfectly reasonable. By that, you mean we're going to record it and then set it on fire. We might do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Pyrophobia is the fear of fire. Everyone knows that. Yeah. And the fear of certain mutants. On the evil, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's a very specific fear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a wildfire is basically an uncontrolled fire in an area of combustible vegetation. Uh-huh. Occurs in the countryside or a wilderness area. Uh-huh. The wind can push fires around. Yes, it can. Oh. Yeah. In fact, the wind is one of the biggest problems with it, especially as the fire gets bigger and bigger and bigger, they begin to create their own winds. Uh, and then the fire crews that are up against that are now working against the actual fire load, the fire, and these unpredictable winds. And it becomes Ooh. a fire NATO. They're, they're called whirls. Fire whirls. Whirls. Not whorls, but whirls. One other thing that we just didn't quite mention is actually uh, wildland urban interface fires. Okay, the the borderlands. Which is the borderlands. And those are the ones you see a lot on television in the news about California. (laughs) Where you see these crews driving tanker trucks down roads, and on one side are properties, and on the other side is desert that's Mm -hmm. on fire. Uh Mm. uh, And they're spraying as much water on it as they can get. And these are a very different kind of fire. They're fought quite differently than a regular wildland firefighter. They, They are fought to be extinguished. Whereas forest fires, um, they're thought to be contained and then they burn themselves out. Oh, okay. Because they're just so big, you're not going to get enough water on them. Mm. Right. All right. If you want some terminology, I can first of all start with a pop quiz. Yay! I'm ready to have my trivia popped. What is a Pulaski? Oh, I know what this is. What is a Pulaski? You're thinking season two Star Trek. Season two Star Trek Doctor. Uh That's that's an easy one. (laughs) I don't understand the fire reference, but I'm I'm rolling with it. It's that character from Entourage who gets a talk show, and he only takes phone calls from people from Poland. Poles ask E. 
Poles ask E. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk about wildfires, obviously. I mean, that's his favorite oh, it's subject. Gonna, it's gonna come that's up. why it's in the wildfire Look, episode. It's, it's obviously the combination of devices that firefighters use to get to uh, fires very quickly on a mountain covered in snow. It's a pole esky With the little E, uh, uh, A accent backwards. That, Which uh, one of us got it right? Uh-huh. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah. No. A Pulaski is actually a firefighter's tool, a hand tool. It's okay. a combination of an axe and a mattock. So on one end of the axe is a regular axe head that you see, and on the back is what looks like the back of a pick. Okay. It's oh, okay. a flat tool. Mm-hmm. And unlike regular fire axes, these are kept very sharp. They are used for ripping up root assemblies and then pulling the roots out of the way when you're creating oh. a fire break. Oh, right, okay. right, because fires can happen under the ground if the roots Exactly, catch so when you're creating what's called a fire break, we'll get to that in a minute, you have to clear right down to the mineral soil that's not going to burn. Mm. Okay. Uh, this is the characteristic wildland firefighter tool. Is it? Is it? So it's kind of like a shovel in a way. No, it's it's more like an axe. It looks right. from a distance, you just think it's a regular fire axe. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one side is a mattock instead of a ninety degree tilted fire blade or or a uh, pinion, which so, is the the point. So the mattock is that's the when you think of like a, a mining pick. Yes, uh, a pick on one side has the sharp point, and the back back of the pick tends to have the flatter, wider right. bit. That's what the mattock yeah. is. In the back if you imagine a claw axe. hammer. Instead of the claw right. being split, it's a solid piece. Okay. Yeah. You're, yeah, you've yeah. kind of got that. Perfect. Now, is this called a Pulaski because it's just a mispronunciation of Polax and then it just got caught on? No, it's uh, from a guy's name. Oh. Uh, he, Mr. Uh, Polax? And he they... was a very aggressive guy saving his crew in uh-huh. a 1940s fire. He was one of those, any guy tries to leave this shelter, I'll shoot him in the head kind of guys. And mm. he saved most uh, of his guys. Okay. Uh, by shooting them they in the head. The, yeah. them so in they the... didn't burn to death. That's right. And they uh, they named this tool in his honor. Oh, okay. Because he was a huge tool. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Question number two. What is a boneyard? Uh, I got a boneyard in my pants. A yard. You've got a yard of bones. A yard of bones in my pants. You do not need to see that. <laughs> this is different than a graveyard? You tell me. Uh, no, it's not different than a graveyard. It's a graveyard. <laughs> a boneyard is an area that has been scraped of all vegetation, all materials, right down to the mineral soil. Okay. okay. And this is done for safe handling of smoldering materials. Oh, um, What you can do is you've cleaned this area. You can actually, if you've got coals or ash or burning stuff still, you can chuck it on this area until you deal with it. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing for it to burn oh. more extensively. Okay. Right. Just move the fire over yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is a fire break? That is part of a fire break. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What does the mnemonic LACES, L-A-C-E-S mean mnemonic laces it's a it's a safety mnemonic right oh 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 i like see L-A-C, so lac yes. so it's yeah. an acronym yeah 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 but because it spells the word laces yeah you remember the word laces oh, okay. every time you look at your feet you'll think of this i thought you meant mnemonic as in air oh <laughs> that would be pneumatic yeah. pneumatic <laughs> close though no what uh, what does laces stand for that, that you're is- supposed <laughs> to remember, remember. For fire safety. <laughs> for, and this is specifically for crews fighting wildland wild fires. fires. Yeah. Okay. Let's all <laughs> cheer extinguishing of shit. Shit. Yeah. Let's all cheer extinguishing shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because you want to remember when you've extinguished it. No, don't just go away sulking. Yeah. You got to go, hooray! Oh, and uh, it actually has a function because if you, it, A, it brings up morale, yeah. right? B, the guy like, you know, 50 feet down knows that you've extinguished yeah, your section. Right. So he's got to pick up the slack, <laughs> right? So there's, there's a it's lot of- It's a motivator, of, yeah. Yeah, it's a motivator as well as a communication tool. Uh, I think it's probably something like along, like, l- look at clear 
uh, Everglade smoke. I don't know. <laughs> Clear Everglade smoke. <laughs> you almost got one right. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. The first one is Lookout. Keep. They've recently changed this. It used to just be LCES, and then everyone went, "Well, we can't remember that." So they added the A, which is a lot like the L. Mm-hmm. So first one is Lookout. Keep your eyes peeled. Right. Look around. Situational right. awareness. That's be sort of aware. Thing. A is uh, for aware. And A is aware. Yeah, nice. and that's aware of things like uh, escape routes. Okay. You know, is the fire, are you on a slope suddenly? Because fires burn up slopes. So, right. ooh, uh, where am I? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. C is communications. Keep mm-hmm. them open and make sure you use them. Like e, a cheer. Like a cheer. Like That's a, cheer. a kind, of kind of communication. communication. Yeah. 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 Uh, escape routes. Be aware of your escape routes. Mm-hmm. This all goes back to lookout and awareness. Mm-hmm. And then finally is the safety zones. Which areas, uh-huh. like a boneyard, can you dive into if you have to? Or, you know, is there a river that you could, in worst case scenario, dive into? Is there a cave that's bear-free and snake-free that you could jump into? Okay, question number four. Mm-hmm. What is a snag? Oh, a snag. Mm. Uh, well, that's you know, you're fighting a wildfire and you catch your, your sweater on uh, on one of those branches. <laughs> right. One of those, like, sharp, burnt branches. Or and, your, uh, your pantyhose. Or your pantyhose. And it gives a little pull. And now you can't wear it to the big dance afterwards. Because you got snagged. Because you got snagged. I think it's when the fire grabs you and pulls you in. Okay. All right. got snagged by that fire. It's more like a snatch. <laughs> Does this have to do with like your 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 axe getting stuck in the tree or something? I get snagged. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, nope. It's a shortening of the popular animated character Snagglepuss. Snaggletooth. Snagglepuss. Mm. Snagglepuss. Yeah. Suffering succotash, there's a forest fire. <laughs> that's Sylvester. Uh, that was Sylvester. You're totally right. <laughs> that was kind of mixed with the uh, It was Augie. kind of both. Yeah, was, uh, I don't know what I was doing. I haven't watched it in ages. Huckleberry Hound was mixed in there as You're well. You're totally I think, a right, bit. it was. Yeah. Yeah. What was Snaggle, how that, did Snagglepuss sound? Exit stage oh, that's, left. Oh, that's, stage he was, left. He was the, the, the terrible animation, that's right. Not he was Hanna-Barbera. He was that's, a Hanna-Barbera character. Oh, yeah. That's the terrible animation. So what yeah. is a snag? Snag is a dead standing tree that can fall on you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Soil burns away underneath it. The tree doesn't even have to be on fire. It could just fall over on you. Is it an mm-hmm. automatic like road. Is that the sound a burnt tree makes when it hits somebody? I think that's snag. when your that's when your fire crew boss phones in and goes, "We've hit a bit of a snag." Yes, or a snag hit a bit of us. Six people are lying under this tree. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, about your husband coming home, we've hit a bit of a snag. Yeah. Right. What is a hookaroon? A hookaroon, the old hookaroonie, <laughs> and it's spelled hooker with oon on the end. Like oon o o n o o n hooker oon. It's a very promiscuous raccoon. <laughs> hey, my house just burned down. I need to make some quick money. Yeah. Hookaroon. Uh-huh. No, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like a spork, except it's a spoon and a hook. It's another firefighting tool. Right. Right. Where you can eat, <laughs> where you can like eat your chili, you, your firehouse chili. You need, you need the, you need to hook into the door to pull it off. Right. But then what if there's delicious Fruit Loops in there? Yeah, or Firehouse Chili. You got to re- case may be. Yeah, you got to replenish <laughs> your... Five Alarm Chili in there. <laughs> yeah, precisely. That's what started the fire in the first place. That's the hookaroon. Yep. Uh, I thought that a hookaroon was the bait that you use to catch fish that have a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. It's like a macaroon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's I get it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this happened, but Torin is halfway there. Oh, He's yeah. so yeah. close. It, it was is, the Fruit Loops. It is a tool. <laughs> Uh, yeah. it's, it looks a bit like an axe, but instead of a blade or a mattock, it just has a hook okay. on one end. Okay. And it is specifically for grabbing into and yanking burning logs or non-burning logs okay. out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some departments, different, again, regional variations. I've heard it called a pick a rune. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. In a couple mm-hmm. places. So, yeah, it's just a really badly named tool. Okay. Hand tool. Yeah. Nice. This is the final question. What is a fire swatter? A fire swatter. It is like a fly swatter, uh-huh. but it's really big. <laughs> no. It's really big. They put it on a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> it's when Drew Barrymore swats flies. Fire, fire starter swatter. Fire starter fire swatter. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uses her pyrokinesis yeah, to swap flies. To just kill flies. Yeah, that's right. uh, is it the huge thing? He mentioned helicopters. Is it a huge thing that the helicopters carry full of water and they just open it up and dump it and goes and puts nope. out a large swatch of fire? Again, no. be a fire swasher. being oh, weird, yeah. Torin has got partway there. Yeah. What? It is a really big fly swatter that you use on the ground to swat out fire that's on tamp, the ground. Small, tamp, little, tamp. small little bits of fire that right. are along fire edges. Uh, they will it? use it and smack it out. What is it made out of? Uh, I think they're basically like a, a hard rubber or a synthetic material like that. Some of okay. them are flat. Some of them have kind of phalanges that can can swat at it. Mm-hmm. And these are you're not going to be putting out one of those fifty thousand hectare forest fires with this. This is you're on the oh, very this is mop up. This is yeah, either mop up or you know I'm sure you can post a picture of it. There's just a little bit of like a grass fire, and you're smacking it down to knock it out before the crews come in with the shovels or if, nice. if you have access to water. I'm gonna get one. Really? What are you going to use it for? Uh, chasing the cat around the apartment. Oh, yes. Yeah, so after you light it on fire? It's a cat swatter. A little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's bit. the quiz, Torn wins. Because <laughs> if, if you use it to not swat fires, you are it's no longer a fire swatter. It just becomes a cat swatter. Because a cat swatter. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I better set the cat on fire then. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> okay. The most common cause of wildfires, they can be caused by nature, like lava or lightning. Uh-huh. But most are caused by humans. Uh, most... Ne- Ninety percent. Wow, that's most. Ninety percent. That's is caused by uh, regional. Humans. That's probably the United oh, States. All right. Yeah, I, I pulled up the numbers for British Columbia. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. From 2013 back to 2003, uh, lightning caused 61.4 percent. Okay. Oh wow. And humans caused 38.6 percent. Oh, interesting. So, mm-hmm. but we have a vast amount of forested area where there aren't going to be people around. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas the United States, there's people. And we're more of, we're more of a rainforest than them, so it's wetter and maybe harder for accidental fires to start than say yeah, tinder to dry yeah, portions exactly. of America. Yeah, we don't have the desert areas of the right. southwest. Where does lava west. come up on your list? Lava, we we don't in have an British, awful lot of British lava Columbia. in British Columbia. Oh, here's an, here's an interesting question. Yep. Can, can raindrops start a fire? Can raindrops start a fire? Yeah. Oh, I know how they can. Yes, do. if they fall into a bucket of burning gasoline. And mm. then it like splashes oh, some see. of the gasoline out of the back. bucket or sodium. But no, uh, raindrops could form dewdrops, which would then act as a magnifying glass mm. on something dry and uh, cause it to burn. I, I um, know gardeners will always say, "Don't water your plants in the morning because you'll burn them." I've uh, never yeah, understood so the sun that. magnifies on the plants. Mm. Gardening websites tell you not to water during the day for fear of scorching your plants. Some have speculated mm. that raindrops might even be able to act like a magnifying glass and focus sunlight to set a leaf on fire. Are they right? Question mark. Are they right? I don't a, know. A group of scientists. I have my doubts. Group, Sounds plausible. A group of scientists in Hungary and Germany set out to discover the truth. Their findings appear in New Phytologist. Oh, okay. So check your subscription for that. Phytologist? Yeah, P-H-Y. Oh, okay. I thought it was phytologist. Yeah. This the, issue the, fighting fires. Pugilism. Like one Is article. dead? Yeah. Randy Couture punches a plant in the face. Yeah, they cover all <laughs> kinds of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> they start by placing small glass spheres on maple leaves and exposing them to sunlight. The leaves were quickly sunburned. However, when the glass spheres were replaced with water droplets on both maple and ginkgo leaves, there was no visible burn. Water drops are usually ellipsoidal in shape, ellipsoidal, mm-hmm. 
and are less able than a sphere to concentrate light. Mm. In addition, the ellipsoidal shape is able to intensify, intensify sunlight only when the sun is low in the sky, when the light is not so strong, mm-hmm. and the water itself provides cooling. Mm-hmm. There was an exception, though, with plants that have small waxy hairs covering their leaves, like floating ferns. Mm-hmm. The hairs are hydrophilic, and water is held in spheres above the leaf's surface. Like the glass spheres, these water droplets can intensify sunlight enough to burn a leaf. The times, scientists say that if water droplets accumulated on a parched plant, sunlight could theoretically spark a fire. Mm. They write, however, the likelihood of this is considerably reduced by the fact that after rain, the original dry vegetation becomes wet, and as it dries, water drops also evaporate. Thus, claims of fires induced by sunlight water droplets on vegetation should be treated with a grain of salt. Yeah. Mm. Salty, watery plants. Right. Theoretically possible, but couldn't recreate it in a lab environment and uh, very unlikely to actually happen. Seems to be. In reality. Well, there you go. Uh, it, was that a, is that a common wives' tale? I mean, uh, Joe kind of like suggested that. Well, I'm not an old wife, <laughs> right? And you don't have so a tail. I've never heard it. Right. I don't have a tail. Yeah. Well, I have a vestigial tail. Well, we've heard, yeah. definitely heard the, it mentioning. can it can burn your plants, like so that you shouldn't do it because it's not that it'll set them on fire. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to start a wildland fire. And we do know but, snow globes start fires. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we, we talked about that previously. We do know about snow globes. So don't put snow globes in your garden. Yeah, that's what that's the lesson. That's the takeaway. Okay, some uh, some terminology. Just so when we're talking about stuff here, people will know exactly what we're yep. getting. Yeah. Okay. Lay it on me. Uh, I'll do it in alphabetical. Uh, an anchor point. Uh, you'll hear this in I think every one of the forest fire movies I watch. They talk right. about get back to the anchor point. Mm-hmm. An anchor point is an advantageous location, usually a barrier to fire, fire spread. So it's it's a good place to start constructing your fire lines from. That's that's basically where the team's going to begin right. to work to start uh, attacking the fire. It's like the headquarters in the field. It's yeah. the anchor of the line. Yep, but right? it's also um, specifically picked because it's an unlikely position to get flanked by the fire. It's not okay. going to sneak up on you on either side. It's right? on an island 30 miles yeah. away. A backfire uh, is a fire set along the inner edge of a fire line. And this is actually set by the firefighters. This is one of okay. the to put, techniques to put it up. You've created your fire line, and then you start fires between your fire line and the main fire, and your fire starts burning towards the main fire. Fighting fire with fire? That's never a good idea. Who would even come up with that? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so it, 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 it creates a wider burnt-out area. Yeah. Right. Once the fire hits it, it's got nowhere to go. So well, yeah, you get that whole, out. like, fuel, oxygen... Bullshit. That triangle. Yeah, triangle. Whatever it was. Yeah. Yep, the fire triangle. And, you know, get rid of that fuel component. Fire, fuel, and heat. Get rid of yeah, the, yeah. the uh Two out fuel. of three ain't also, bad. Also known as the triangle. A uh, control line. Uh-huh. Uh, now, this is an inclusive term, and it means all of the constructed or natural barriers and treated fire edges. Now, treated fire edges when you drop retardant from an aircraft. Right. Um, whenever you see actually bombers, water bombers or fire retardant aircraft dropping stuff, they're uh-huh. not putting out the fire. They're actually treating the leading edges. So the fire won't burn into that area. A firestorm is extreme fire behavior indicated by widespread uh, indrafts, which are air blowing into the fire. Okay. Right? And a tall column of smoke and flame coming up from the area that's on fire. Okay. Uh, and the added air increases fire intensity, creating a runaway fire growth. So it just takes off. Right. It's a virtual storm of fire. A runaway virtual? fire growth? Well, it's not virtual. It's real. It's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a real storm of fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> and then the last one, because uh, I mentioned it a couple times, is a fire break, which is a natural or uh, a human-made barrier right. used to stop or check fires that may occur. Oh, like you oh. snap it over your knee, you break it. I thought that was for people who were like super addicted to cigarettes and were like, I'm not taking a fucking smoke break. I'm taking a fire break. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, nicotine. You got 10 minutes. <laughs> 
some of the equipment firefighters use, we've mentioned the Pulaski and the uh, fire swatter. Uh, probably one of the, the ones room. that they uh, kind of rely on a lot is what's known as a fire shelter. Okay. And this is basically an aluminized tent. Uh, all of the firefighters, all of the forestry firefighters carry these in a, in a pouch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the fire starts coming at you and you have no place to escape to, pull out your aluminized tent, get yourself in the clearest area you can find. Right. And then dive to the dirt and flip this silver bag over yourself. Hmm. Face into the dirt, breathe the dirt, because even lifting your head inside your tent, you could wind up breathing superheated air. Mm. It's going to get that hot. And then keep yourself company for about an hour, hour and a half inside your little... Can you live on breathing dirt, though? (laughs) Well, you're filtering the air through the dirt. Breathe through the dirt. I'm guessing that this is... this Usually, this tactic does not turn out well for the firefighter. You get pretty... You must get hurt doing this well you know what thing. i've never used these and um i mean i've done some forestry uh, yeah. firefighting and uh when i was preparing for this i threw out an idea for a uh, lesser of two evils of run from the fire or get into your tent going who's going to choose that well almost everybody lives in these mm. right yeah. so i went i was utterly surprised by that i but found like one lives, group of though like lives yeah, like <laughs> yes like yeah. are you are you like a marshmallow it melted sounds like person most of them lives? get up throw the thing oh, off okay. and, and walk out okay. uh, there was one group mm. of uh, i believe it was 14 were fi- killed a few years ago but that was in just a lousy area fire well, came right up to them you're always rolling dice right it's which one is going to give you the better roll dice roll and yeah. if you ever see a picture of a fire shelter you just you look like a burrito when you're in it oh i love burritos oh i do like burritos it's, too you look like oh, you're one of those aluminum wrapped burritos nice mm. but you kind of smell like a burrito afterwards too all like you know smoking chipotle well you just, you've been in your shelter farting for the like, hour and a half you smell like cumin <laughs> oh yeah don't eat a burrito before you get inside your fire burrito no, no. yeah that's a uh, that's a bad combo unlike chips and guacamole great combo which you can eat inside your mm-hmm Sure, bring, bring along some fresh oh, yeah. avocados. Stick, stick your nachos outside your your uh, yeah, thing, your, and then when you throw cheese. it off, you got the delicious snack because it'll like uh, you know perfectly melt that cheese. I'm sure. Be turned to a fine white ash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, another tool that's used is the drip torch. The drip torch? The drip mm. torch. Again, I had this once and the uh, yeah. the penicillin cleared it right up. <laughs> this is just a small little hand carried, uh, basically a tiger torch, a little mm-hmm. powerful fuel torch. Yep. And it's constantly just dripping fuel out of its muzzle. Right. And the fuel's on fire. And it's used to set the fires along the edge of your cleared lines. Oh, okay. These right. are for extreme controlled fires as it burns back into the burn area. Got oh. it. So they don't carry flamethrowers. They carry drip torches. Drip torches. Drip torches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the bulk of the tools. Then there's how uh, how they actually put out a forest fire, which is a bit of a misnomer. If Hollywood has taught me anything, and through spray, Strange Brew they have, all you need to do is drink an entire vat of beer and then oh. pee on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez, mm-hmm. oh, I gotta take a leak so bad I can taste it. Yeah. Well. Problem solved. Bring Bob and Dumb McKenzie in. Uh, it's a very elaborate, multi-layered approach mm. involving extensive human resources. There have been fires in Australia that used upwards of 130,000 people on what? the ground putting out the fire. What? Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Seems like you'd almost be better off just leaving the continent. Just oh, abandoning yeah, it. Just throwing in the towel. We need 130,000 firefighters. Forget it. We give then- up. You win. There's also heavy use of technology as well. Mm-hmm. At the at the bare bones rock bottom level, and I'm not insulting these people, I say rock bottom because these are the rock upon which all of this is built, is the wildland firefighter, the basic trained firefighter. Mm-hmm. Trained to work to contain wildfires using hand tools, wildland fire apparatus, uh, earth-moving equipment like dozers and backhoes for right. clearing these, mm-hmm. back, uh, these mm-hmm. uh, fire breaks. This is super labor-intensive. Uh, it's exhaustive hands-on work. 
conducted brutal environment of heat, dust, smoke. You're in the woods, so now you've got insects, Ugh. which, you know, all the stuff you don't like about the woods on a nice day for people mm-hmm. that aren't fond of the woods oh. are there, and it's on fire. Some, some of the more odd problems that people don't really think of are you've got the panicked animals, which can be a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Rhinos just bursting out. That's, that's right. That's right. Tigers, rhinos angry on, tigers. Rhinos on fire. Angry, fiery tigers. Fire rhinos. Yeah. Are there firefighters who do nothing but fight wildland fires, or is it more like there are firefighters who fight every kind of fire, including wildland fires? No, wildland firefighters are wildland firefighters. Right. Uh, in Canada, for the most part, it's a six-month-a-year job, five yeah. months, mm-hmm. depending on your province. The United States, it was the same thing for years. They would say, oh, it's getting to be fire season, mm-hmm. but California has discovered now fire season is year-round. Uh, other hazards... Uh, there are lots of vehicle accidents. It's smoky vehicles running over people that they can't see. Mm. Uh, respiratory illnesses. Uh, electrocution is a big one. Electrocution. A lot of firefighters are killed by electrocution from power lines coming down. Oh, because oh. yeah, because the thing everything the burns away that supports them. Power lines in the wildlands. I guess they're there. They've got to get, get from get town to town. Somewhere, I've somewhere. Them. I've seen them. Uh, one that's kind of creepy for people is animal traps. Bear traps, oh. Michael traps, wow. and you come stomping along and put your foot in it. Yeah. I'm stamping out the fire. I'm stamping out the fire. Snap. Snap. Yeah. Um, That's a double whammy. You got the, the foot in the trap, and then you got the fires coming at you. And then a flaming bear oh. comes out of the woods again. Yeah. It'll cauterize the wound. Uh-huh. Uh, sure enough. A red hot bear trap. Uh. Uh, shafts, like abandoned mine shafts. Shaft. And I can dig it. Mm, shut your mouth. Uh, holes, that sort of thing that you can fall into. You're, a lot of times you're doing work, you're working backwards. Right. Oh, you know, right. and you just, or you fall off a cliff because you, you didn't, you, you weren't exercising your laces. Right. Mm. Yeah, I was in the military as a firefighter. And when I was actually in my fire course mm. in Borden, Ontario, there was a fire at a Canadian Forces base uh, in New Brunswick, Gagetown. And artillery had ignited a fire in the forest just off the edge of the base. Mm. So while we were there assisting with that, one of the first instructions they said is, by the way, there's lots of unexploded ordnance around here. Just, oh. just keep your eyes open. Sure. Watch out for that while you're walking around through the stuff on fire. So Maybe don't do so much stamping. A little bit more like a minefield than a wildland Yeah. Fire. I have read, not about injuries, but of firefighters getting startled just out in the regular wilderness of um, ammunition that hunters have dropped. Oh, oh, right. That cooks off. Nobody that I oh, know yeah. of. I couldn't find a single example of anyone being hurt from it. Right. But right. you hear the crack in the distance and you go, right. who's shooting? Mm. Yeah. And that's right. Why are they shooting at me while I'm fighting this fire? Yeah. Somebody firing a warning shot. Fire's coming. Firing a flare. As, yeah. as smoke is billowing into the sky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Animals are running in fear from a wall of flame. Bang. Look out. There's a fire. Well, they did need every hand they could get their hands on. And Yosemite Sam was right there. Yeah. There comes the fire. Could also be the the starter pistol for the firefighters. They're all lined up, ready to fight the fire. <laughs> That's right. Was was Are Yosemite Sam there with his stupid dragon? Yosemite Sam had a dragon. Just in that one episode. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember stupid the dragon. dragon. Stupid dragon. After the uh, the basic wildland firefighter in the United States, they have a, an elite team called the Hot Shots. The Hot Shots. Mm. And uh, you know what? I'll give it to them. These guys have earned this name. Mm. Uh, they are so elite. There are only 107 teams in the United States. And each team is 20 people. Okay. And one of them was recently retired because 19 of them were killed in a fire. Ow! Um, but I'm not sure if they've been replaced yet. So, But we'll still call it 107 teams. Okay. These men and women respond to uh, uh, relatively remote areas or fairly remote areas where there are no forest service roads or regular roads servicing them. Okay. And they're brought in by boats. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, helicopters can drop them in. Yep. If the area is clear enough nearby, planes might land them, that sort of thing. Fire them out of a cannon. Yeah, or just good old-fashioned walking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 50K that way, go. When I was in university, I was always uh, keeping my eye out for a uh, good-paying summer job so I could afford to go back to continue my education. Mm-hmm. And uh, they recruited pretty heavily while I was uh, at school for the Rap Attack. Yes, a firefighting service where they would drop you in by helicopter. They would like rappel in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like yeah, they're you know, still used behind enemy lines and whatnot. And I there was a two part examination process, and I wrote the exams and did very well on the written exams. Oh, you could have been a rap attacker. And then I went into the interview, and they looked at me and they looked at the sheet and said, "Yeah, we can't hire you. You weigh too much." Oh, right. Oh, so, yeah. They mm-hmm. crew members to be weigh no more than 175 pounds. Yep. Yeah. Uh, dressed weight in street clothes. Yeah, so Rap dressed Attack. Weight. Dressed uh-huh. weight, yeah. That's not their gear, yeah. but that's in clothing, yeah. Rap Attack, fat shamers. Yes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't support fat shamers at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a really good reason for their fat shaming in this case. They need as many bodies in that helicopter. I don't think they care if it's fat or not. Mm-hmm. If you're fat you and like, yeah, you don't have tiny. Tiny. I know. in shape. I'm, Right. Let's well, let's be I'm fair here. My, Kevin. my arms were fat with muscle. Right. I, well, mm-hmm. no, but it's totally true. They wouldn't want Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Like in in his prime because Big he was mistake. Too much. See what he did in all those movies. He would have been awesome. Yeah, murdered people a yeah. lot of the time. It's like Absolutely. astronauts though. They have a height re- requirement because if we can build the spacecraft smaller, we save yep. a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say they rejected you because your rap attack. Oh, give, oh us, give us your rap attack. The, let's let's the, have the audition the right here. The final uh, uh, examination was to enter into a rap battle with yeah. somebody else, and this 115-pound girl I was up against, so it was a double whammy. Not right. only were her rhymes sicker, but <laughs> she fit under the weight requirement as well. The hot shots, once they get in, they start doing their work. Again, for them, it's all hand tools, chainsaws, mm-hmm. shovels, Pulaski's, Maddox. Seems and, like a lot of work. And by that, you it's mean they've replaced their hands with tools? It's like chainsaws Edward, and Edward, axes and Edward pickaxes. Hooker rune hands. Yeah, yeah, now we're talking. It's always nice when you dedicate yourself enough to replace your hands with firefighting tools. Yeah, especially those the fired swatters. Flap, flap, oh yeah, flap, 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 flap. <laughs> those guys are great swimmers. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine the back rub after they give you the pat down? Pop, 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 pop. Oh, 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 it's so warm. Oh. Oh. So for really remote fires, mm-hmm. and these are the smoke jumpers. Smoke jumpers. And they're trained to fight wildland fires with only hand tools again in mm-hmm. areas with no other access but airdrop. Okay. And they parachute into trees that are on fire. Okay. That's amazing. Yep. And these, these guys, they, they were created in the 1940s. And if you look at pictures of the 1940s gear and the gear they're wearing today, it looks almost exactly the same. It's these big kind of buff-colored suits with these crazy high Blade Runner collars. Right. They jump in. You know, they have backpacks where they can carry a chainsaw when you jump out of a plane carrying a chainsaw and an axe. Nice. Uh, and don't, and don't they land, land hard. and they go right to work. Uh, if you add zombies to this, this sounds like the plot to a Sam Raimi movie. I would watch that movie. Yeah, I would watch that movie too. Yeah. Jumping out of planes, attacking zombies with chainsaws and axes. Or jump into a plane for a fire and there's zombies there. Yeah, like yeah. They started the fire. Fire burning zombies. Fire zombies. Oh, now we're talking. Sci fi movie, call and, me. And TM. Channel, call me. TM. Despite the seemingly dangerous nature of the job, fatalities from jumping are rare. The best known fatalities in the United States mm-hmm. being those that occurred at the Man Gulch Fire in 1949 and the South Canyon Fire in 1994. Red Skies of Montana is a 1952 adventure film in which Richard Widmark stars as a smoke jumper. The film was loosely based on the 1949 Man Gulch Fire. Mm-hmm. 
The 555th Parachute Infantry Battalion was the only entirely black airborne unit in U.S. Army history, purportedly not sent to, co- to combat because of segre- segregation within the military during World War II. However, in May 1945, it was sent to the west coast of the U.S. to combat forest fires ignited by Japanese balloons carrying incendiary devices. Okay. An operation designated Operation Firefly. Mm-hmm. While these enemy balloons failed to appear, the 555th fought numerous other forest fires while there. Stationed in Oregon with a detachment in California, 300 unit members participated in dangerous firefighting missions throughout the Pacific Northwest during the summer and fall of 1945, mm-hmm. earning the name Smoke Jumpers, and made a total of 1,200 jumps to 36 fires. Wow. Mm. Speaking of Japanese firebombing, mm-hmm. Smokey the Bear. Oh, Smokey He's Japanese? Bear. Smokey Bear. Smokey Bear. Not Smokey yeah, the his Bear. His middle name isn't the. Oh. oh. They yeah. should have named him Smoke and then his middle initial E, e. dot. Bear, bear, like yeah. Wiley Coyote. Smokey the Bear, Smokey the Bear. Da 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 da. Not Winnie the Pooh, Smokey the Bear. <laughs> created in 1944, he was one of the first campaigns from the newly created Wartime Ad Council. These were the same folks who coined the phrase "loose lips sink ships." Oh wow, these guys are got their pithy slogans. The logo masters. Smokey's job is to warn Americans of the danger of forest fires, not those set by Americans, but by the Japanese. The Axis led forest fire brigade. Exactly what did they think the Japanese were going to gain by lighting forest fires in Oregon? It's not a bad concept if they could have made it work. Right. Uh, in the 1940s, a lot of war material was wood. Right. Not, not just yeah. paper, but wood was used for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Additionally, if you have a few hundred thousand hectares of forest on fire, you have to have human beings in there on the ground. And right. in the 40s, men right. on yeah. the ground fighting the fire, and they're not at the front fighting the Japanese. So it was, a, it was a concept of destroying natural resources and tying up human resources. The other alternative is to stand there during war and go, well, we need those guys for war. And then your forest burns down. And takes out L.A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I wonder if they launched the balloons and never came? Or? They did. They actually they found a few of them. them yeah. yeah, they found a few of them laying on the ground in Washington State, Idaho. Thought, or, sorry, uh, Oregon. In the history. P-A-S-U-D-O-M-I-N-E. 1939, Victoria, Australia. The Black Friday bushfires. Okay. This lasted two days. Mm-hmm. The area was nearly 5 million acres. Okay. Sparked by an oppressive heat and carelessness with fire. About three quarters of the state of Victoria was affected in some way by the blazes, mm-hmm. which are considered by the government to be perhaps the most significant event in the environmental history of Victoria. Wow. Ash from the blazes fell as far away as New Zealand. Although I don't really know if that statement is actually saying much, because I don't know what other environmental... Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe the only one. Had. That was just like, the one. Yeah, every other environment. Yeah, significant because it was the one that yeah, we had. Like, oh, well, Bruce down the road, he uh, didn't recycle last week. <laughs> it was a big environmental event. He just dumped his his paint right into the creek. Yeah. That's an environmental disaster. Oh, he dumped his paint into a wallaby. The fires, which were quenched by a rainstorm, forever altered how the regional authority approached fire management. Casualties, 71. Oh, wow. Damaged 1,000 homes and 69 sawmills. There are probably a lot of casualties because it's so goddamn hot in Australia. People were like, you know, you felt the heat wave coming. You're just like, ah, another day at the office. Sun's up. Sun's up, exactly. And then, you know, raging inferno. So people didn't flee quickly enough. 1983, uh-huh. Southeast Australia. Oh. The Ash Wednesday bushfires. Good oh. Friday, Ash Wednesday. Ironic. Black, huh. Black Friday. Not Good Friday. Oh, so it was on a Friday, so they called yeah. it Black Friday because everything yeah. was covered in soot afterwards. That's right. Right? So it was just descriptive, uh, as opposed to it being th- uh, right after Thanksgiving Thursday in the U.S. where they have all those sales at retailers. Yeah. Right. That's why there were so many casualties. 
people were, you know, pushing. Trampling to buy that fire. And they weren't, nobody was out there to actually fight it. <laughs> the Ash Wednesday fires burned across southeastern Australia. Within 12 hours, more than 180 fires in the winds of up to 100 kilometers per hour caused widespread destruction. Now, do you think it actually happened on Ash Wednesday, or was it just because everything was covered in ash afterwards? Mm, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Like every wildfire is Ash Tuesday and Black Sunday and... You know, there are a lot of black days. Charcoal Monday. Years of severe drought and extreme weather contributed to one of the worst natural disasters to befall Australia. Mm-hmm. The largest number of volunteers were called to duty, 130,000 firefighters. That might be the one I was thinking of. Defense force personnel, relief workers, and support crew. The most disastrous factor in mm-hmm. the Ash Wednesday fires occurred just before nightfall when a fierce and dry wind change swept across South Australia and Victoria. Mm-hmm. This abruptly changed the direction and dramatically increased the intensity of the fires. The long corridors of flame that had been driven by the strong northerly were suddenly hit by gale force southwesterly winds and became enormous fire fronts, Mm -hmm. many kilometers wide, reportedly moving faster than 110 kilometers per hour. What? The fire moved at more than 110 kilometers an hour. So in one hour... 110 kilometers of forest that had not been engulfed in flame yet was now engulfed. Is that what that means? Well, the damage was more than 4,000 square kilometers. Uh-huh. 3,700 buildings uh-huh. uh, were destroyed, and 340,000 sheep and 18,000 cattle died. I bet it smelled really good, though. <laughs> mm, lamb. Mm. Uh, the, and steak. The near cyclonic strength of the wind created a firestorm that produced tornado-like fire whirls. Uh-huh. And fireballs of eucalyptic gas measuring over three meters across. Uh, resin in trees burns. Mm-hmm. It, it burns expe- spectacularly well. Eucalyptus is, of course, a, a more um, mm. oil kind of mm-hmm. sap. Mm-hmm. But uh, even you know, in North American fires, firefighters, uh, forest firefighters, will talk about the trees exploding. Out of context, if you'd asked me if I wanted to try a flaming eucalyptus ball, I'd be like, sure, bring it on. Sounds good. Sound like a That's spicy like a, treat. It's like a sushi. That's right. It's koala testicles. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I thought a eucalyptus ball was something you put in the tub and it fuzzes and oh, smells oh, right. Yeah, like yeah. A bath bomb. Yeah. Ooh, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You're going to have a bath tonight? Yeah. Let's get you a flaming eucalyptus ball. Sounds good. Boof. And then it's charcoal Monday all over again. Oh, I can feel it working. Yeah. <laughs> the change in temperature and air pressure was so savage that houses were seen exploding before fire could touch them. From the from that uh, that heat that uh, heat wave was blowing houses up. We talked about this a bit in urban fires. With when you heat a, a structure or wood, mm-hmm. it starts to give off gas, and when it rises to its auto ignition temperature, there's what's known as a flashover. So from the outside, you look at it, you go, "That house just exploded into flames," but it's been brought up to its ignition temperature. It's ah. giving off all these explosive gases, and then boom, it Cause, goes. Because burning is basically it hits a certain point and it's burning. And yes. what we're seeing is it slowly getting up to that point rather yeah. than a flame hitting yeah. it and catching fire. I mean, you would probably okay. be looking at that house and you would be seeing vapors coming off yeah. it if you were close enough, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you go, the fire's not even touching it and it would just explode. burst. The freakish conditions spawned unique effects. A car was forced 90 meters along a road with its handbrake on. Burning mattresses were seen hurtling through the air. Steaks were cooked well done in deep freezers. Oh, The wow. road, road surfaces bubbled and caught fire and sent, and sand liquefied to glass. The heat of the fires after the wind change rose to 2,000 degrees Celsius, exceeding that recorded during the Allied bombing of Dresden in World War II. Mm. In fact, the Ash Wednesday fires were measured at around 60,000 kilowatts of heat energy per meter, leading to similarities with the atomic bomb dropped in Hiroshima. Seem reasonable? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. like an atomic bomb without all the radiation. 
Casualties were 75 human casualties and 2,600 or more injured. The death toll is only so low because of the relatively low population density. Right. If the fires happen today, it's likely the death toll would be far greater. And, you know, I mean, all you're losing is campers. You know, I mean, who cares about those people anyway? 1910, Idaho slash Montana, the Big Burn. Also known as the Big Blow Up. <laughs> okay, the Big Burn, the Big Blow Up. I mean, the Big Burn sounds like it's more descriptive. The Big Blow Up, more tabloidy. Mm. Big Blow Up sounds like you're really into big ladies and got yourself a fetish doll. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it started. You got trying to blow that thing up, you got dizzy and knocked over a candle. Why did you blow it up with hydrogen? It's <laughs> flammable. Uh, well, the name of the doll was the Hindenburg. He wanted to have sex in the sky. Mm-hmm. This information comes from Popular Mechanics. The duration was about a month. Mm-hmm. The area was 3 million acres. Okay. Occurring in Idaho and Montana. This wildfire happened in 1910. It tore through 3 million acres of wildlife and said to have sent great balls of fire down the mountainsides. Right. The forest staggered, rocked, exploded, and then shriveled under the Holocaust, wrote local historian Betty Goodwin Spencer. Oh, mm. She's got a very husky voice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> great red balls of fire rolled up the mountainsides, up, up the mountainsides. Mm. Crown fires from 1 to 10 miles wide, streaked with yellow and purple and scarlet, raced through treetops 150 feet from the ground. What's a what's a uh, a crown fire? Crown fire is the very high canopy of the tree catching on fire. Right. Kevin mentioned earlier the uh, fire that was moving at 110 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would probably have been a crown fire. And it's just okay. racing across the top of the trees, setting them on fire. And then it burns down the tree oh, so it where, starts to where out, you're yeah. standing. It starts out like a tree haircut. Right. Yeah. And then uh, it's like when Michael Jackson got his hair caught on fire during that video shoot for Pepsi. Exactly. Or you saw how fast he moved in that. <laughs> yeah, 110 kilometers an hour. And stylishly. The speed of the inferno was both breathtaking and deadly. You can't outrun wind and fire that are traveling 70 miles an hour, Spencer wrote. You can't hide when you're entirely surrounded by red hot color. You can't see when it's pitch black in the afternoon. Well, where does that leave Earth in the Earth, Wind, and Fire musical debate? Mm. Uh, is he constantly trying Off to outrun them and losing? Off the table. Yep. Yeah, he's always the one being left behind. By the end of July, more than 90 major fires blazed on or near Idaho's Coeur d'Alene National Forest and Lolo National Forest in western Montana. As many as 4,000 newly re- recruited firefighters camped in the woods, struggling to put them out. Hundreds more, hundreds more minor fires were simply left to burn. The situation was so desperate that federal foresters asked for military assistance. The town of Wallace, Idaho, became so dry that town officials decided to ignite dynamite for 60 straight hours, hoping that the thunderous explosions would jolt rain from the sky. Wow. Uh, Welcome to 1910. I'm I'm not so sure that's going to work too well. No, I don't. That is just a desperate act by desperate people. Although, if you think about it, if you've got 60 hours worth of dynamite to explode and there's a fire nearby, maybe saying it off early is kind of a good idea. I think they're just looking for yeah. any excuse to set off 60 hours worth of dynamite. Let's I mean, they've just been like, let's blow some stuff up, guys. 60 hours worth of dynamite. Oh, uh, it probably, you know, every town hall meeting leading up to it, some guy. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the zoning application for uh, this uh, new multi purpose use facility. Uh, all those in favor, can we set off 60 hours of dynamite, you know, to clear the land for that? No, Bob, we cannot spend it. How about 60 hours of dynamite to celebrate us passing this measure successfully? <laughs> no, Bob. You know, 60 hours with dynamite might make it rain. <sighs> Fine, Bob. <laughs> Whatever you want. On August 20th, the forest exploded. A bizarre cold front with 75-mile-per-hour winds came howling out of the west, mm. feeding oxygen to hundreds of fires and merging them into one great inferno. 
firefighter Joe Helm recalled, As if by magic, sparks were fanned to flames, which licked the trees into one great conflagration. Slight wind now stirred the treetops overhead. Faint distant roar was wafted to my ears. The men heard it. Sound as of heavy wind or a distant waterfall. Mm-hmm. What they heard was the wall of fire rushing headlong toward them. Twenty-eight men died trying to outrun the flames at a place called Setzer Creek. Oh, uh, if only been Seltzer Creek. That would have been so refreshing. Yeah. Others fled into old mine shafts where they were charred when the tunnels became blast furnaces. Oof. <sighs> Running into a mine shaft, yeah, it doesn't... I mean, I guess if you've got nowhere else to hide... If you've got nowhere else to hide. Fire everywhere else. You yeah. know, go into the mine shaft and... If there's soil in there, dig yourself down into it. Uh, they should have had these, like, aluminum the yeah, burrito wrappers. Yeah, the burrito yeah. wrappers. A 50-person crew drove face down into a stream as the flames leapt across the tree crowns, burning the skin on the backs and of their necks. Mm. A falling tree crushed three of them. Mm. <sighs> I made it to the river! <clears throat> when it's your ah. turn, it's your turn. Oh, no. That sucks. A crew of 19 spilled off the ridge overlooking Big Creek and sought refuge in the Dittman cabin, recounts historian Stephen Pine. When the roof caught fire, they ran out. Quick, into this wood box. Mm. The first 18 died where they fell in a heap, along with five horses and two bears. Oh, the bears have been forced into the little enclave. Couldn't have ridden that bear to freedom. <laughs> oh, no, go full tauntaun. Like, cut it open and hide you inside. <laughs> hide inside the bear. The yeah. bear will protect me from being burned. That's I'm right. just imagining the, the two bears, the five horses, and all the men hiding in that cabin together. And the bears are like, no, we're, we're fine. We'll just stand here we're cool. the fires. We're Don't cool. make eye contact. Totally Don't make good. eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> but the story that would come to define the big blow-up of 1910, becoming part of Western mythology and helping to cement federal firefighting policy for the following 90 years was that of 40-year-old Edward Pulaski. The forest ranger was leading 35 to 40 firefighters in a retreat from the wall of flames descending upon their position at Placer Creek, 10 miles south of Wallace. Unbeknownst to the crew, some townspeople had set a backfire, a last-ditch attempt to clear out fuel and save Wallace from the approaching blaze. Drawing on his knowledge of the area and the dynamics of forest fires, Pulaski led his men to safety in an abandoned prospect mine. After ordering his crew into a mine tunnel, he threatened to shoot with his pistol any man who left. Uh Lying prone on the tunnel floor, all but five of the firefighters survived, but two horses with them died from smoke inhalation. Pulaski was temporarily blind, and his lungs were so damaged that he breathed with great difficulty, but he lived to develop the firefighting tool that bears his name. I thought for one second that you were going to say he breathed fire. That would have been pretty well, that's awesome. His, that's how his lungs got damaged. I mean, he did have. I, I mean, I'm surprised that anybody found the threat to fire a pistol at them threatening because he did have hand tools. You know, one hand was an axe and the other hand was a pick. I think right. we established that earlier in the yes. episode, did we not? Five towns were destroyed from this fire, mm-hmm. and there were 85 casualties. The utter destruction caused by the fires of 1910 helped cement an anti-fire ideology in the Forest Service. Mm. Congress poured money into the effort, and by 1935, the head of the service declared that all forest fires should be extinguished by 10 a.m. the following day. And it happens every time. They've never failed to contain every forest fire since. The service created its own army to fight fires with ground troops to dig trenches and set backfires, elite smoke jumpers to parachute into remote areas, and an air force of tankers, reconnaissance planes, and helicopters. However... Smokey Bear was killed the very next year, and their PR efforts efforts went to to no avail. Some foresters and conservationists began to question whether the policy was actually healthy for the ecosystem. Mm. Fire, it soon became clear, was an integral part to forest ecology. Yet, as waves of people moved into forested areas, it became even more imperative to hold fire back. 
because mm. fire has not been allowed to thin forests naturally. Land that has historically ha- had 30 trees per acre now has 300 to 3,000 per acre, mm. resulting in plenty of fuel for the next lightning strike. In fact, the area of forest land that burned between 1994 and 2002 more than tripled from 2.5 million to 7 million acres. Mm. The observation that aggressively fighting all fires can lead to bigger, more frequent blow-ups is an irony that's finally begun to be appreciated institutionally. Today, land managers, land managers in both the National Park Service and Forest Service are at work developing fire management plans that will clarify which fires should be fought, which should be allowed to burn, and which even should be set intentionally. Mm. Yeah, this is this is quite the big deal. Um a hot debate. A it hot is. debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was just really bad. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of uh, researchers have been studying the uh, archaeological record and determining the change in fires since humanity's really kind of come on the scene with our right. fire technology. Uh-huh. And there's no doubt we're the bigger problem. Millions, millions, and millions more hectares are burning per year globally. Mm-hmm. Since humans have had this this impact, so trying to balance fire containment or extinguishment with clearing land, cutting land, sending sawyers in to fell trees in areas so that we don't get the three hundred and fifty trees per right. acre instead of mm. thirty trees, we are we are now taking over nature's job mm-hmm. and running mm-hmm. our forests to a certain degree. Yeah, right. and those trees that we cut down to make it safe, we can turn into paper and houses. This is called paper houses. Responsible management of Baseball your bats. national infrastructure. Toothpicks. Oh, ducks. No, not ducks. Yeah, wooden ducks. Yeah, wooden ducks. Okay, for hunters. For hunters. Clogs. Eighteen twenty-five, New Brunswick, the Great Miramichi Fire. What's a Miramichi? It's a place. It's a river. Oh, okay. All right. The area of this fire was three million acres. That's the size of Connecticut. These blazes whipped up into a firestorm during a dry summer in Maine and the Canadian province of New Brunswick, taking out settlements along the Miramichi River. The flames burned at a speed of one mile per minute. The cause of the blaze is unknown. As the fire progressed along the Miramichi River, many ships were burned. Some of them carried the flames to the south shore of the river as the ships tried to escape the fire. The fire jumped the river in many places and burned communities on the other side. But people who escaped the fire had nothing left for food but potatoes. They had baked in the ground from the extreme oh. heat. Silver lining. Hey. Silver lining. All our stuff cool. is dead, but can you smell those potatoes? Mm. Yeah, and you probably got your uh, your pig pen. You know, you got instant bacon. Oh, right? yeah. So you can crumble that on your potatoes. Your steak and your deep freezes. Mm-hmm. Well yeah. done. Yeah. This wildfire is perhaps best remembered for its survivors taking shelter by standing in the nearby river. Even livestock stood with them, and a baby was rumored to have been born there. If you were facing a giant wildfire that was leaping rivers and, you know, uh, cooking potatoes in the ground, whatever, I mean, hiding in a river seems like the most sensical place to go. They yeah, got water yeah it depends river. on how Any... deep the water is, how close you are to the shore. Uh, you don't want to be, you know, steamed like a lobster. Mm. Uh, I could get those water wings. How long can you right? hold your breath? And it's like, yeah. you know, floaty as far out as I could possibly make it. Casualties, human casualties. Uh, it killed at least 160 including prisoners in the Newcastle jail. Oh. Elsewhere, the totals were likely higher given the number of lumbermen in the forest at the same time, about 3,000. Oh, okay. Left 15,000 homeless, taking out nearly all the buildings in some towns. The fire is estimated to have burned up a fifth of New Brunswick's forests. This is the mm. third biggest fire in North American history, mm. in recorded North American history. 2009 Victoria, Australia, Black Saturday. I was Black right. Black Saturday. It, it, now, it's, it's going to be Sooty Sunday. Mm. Isn't Saturday yeah. the Sabbath? In some religions. Yeah, so Black Sabbath. Black mm-hmm. Sabbath. Oh, I love that band. Yeah. Duration, six weeks. 
Area, 1.1 million acres, 3,500 structures in dozens of towns. Is this the third Australian story? Do they get a lot At of least, wildfires? Yeah. They get a lot of fires for some reason oh. in the bush. Why do you think they, Australia gets so many wildfires? Climate and the types of trees. Right, okay. Yeah. Actually, a swarm of numerous bushfires blazing across Victoria, Australia, numbering as many as 400 at the beginning and stretching from February 7th to March 14th. What's what's worse? 400 small fires or one big fucking fire? It's going to depend on your resources. I say one big one. Yeah, it depends on the resources you have available to you. If, mm-hmm. it's, if it's one big one, it's now you're going, oh, great, we just have to put one containment fire line around it. Right, but right. if it's the size of 400 little ones, but just oh, they've all yeah. just connected. Again, it comes down to what your resources are. If you right. have unlimited resources, I'd go with the big one any day of the week. Okay, all right. Yeah. Millions of Australia's trademark wildlife were killed or injured. They trademarked their wildlife? They did. How the hell do you do that? Random. Well, I'm brands. trademarking. You know uh, how they do it. I'm trademarking the beaver. This is a koala, TM. Yeah. It's already done. It's on the coins. What animal isn't trademarked yet? Uh, oh, I'll make one. Oh, mad scientist ways. Uh, something with a duck bill and a beaver tail and like a little poisonous spike mm-hmm. and it lays eggs. Uh, I think you're onto something. No one's ever, no one's, t- no one's TM'd one something. of these things yet. Put it together and then TM it. Yeah. 12,000 head of livestock died and over 7,500 people were displaced. The causes of the various blazes range from fallen power lines to arson. But a major mm-hmm. drought and a sweltering heat wave combined the perfect storm. A few days before, Melbourne's temperature had reached 45.1 Celsius. That's 113 Fahrenheit. On the day the fires really <laughs> flared up, it reached 46.4 Celsius, 115.5 Fahrenheit. Wow. Right. By midday... Wind speeds were reaching their peak, and by 12.30 p.m., power lines fell due to the high winds. These sparked a bushfire that would later generate extensive pyrocumulus clouds and become the largest, deadliest, and most intense firestorm ever experienced in Australia's post-European history. Well, I know that, uh, you know, cumulonimbus are those yep. great big puffy clouds. Yeah. Uh, what's a pyrocumulus? A cumuliform cloud associated with fire or volcanic activity. So if it's a cumulus cloud because of a fire or a volcano, yeah, it's a I mean it's a combination of it is okay. it is the cloud itself, but it picks up this matter. Yep. The casualties were 173 people, just one firefighter though, mm. and injured 414. The Black Saturday bushfires ranked eighth in recorded history. Eighth in like a square kilometer ridge kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's <laughs> just got a number. 1918 Minnesota, the Cloquit fire, Cloquay. Kumquat? Kum- the Kumquat? Croquet? Mm-hmm. Croquet. Croquet. The croquet mm, I love fire. that game. It started when they uh, were playing croquet, and they really gave it a good smash, and the friction started grass Oh, fire. yeah. Sparked. Yeah. They were using metal. They were using, uh, what, what's flint? Uh, what's yeah, flint. flint and <laughs> flint and steel. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, that's right. The flint croquet ball set. That was it, only in circulation for one year. Yeah. <laughs> in that long, hot, dry summer. That's right. The area of this fire was 390 square miles. In 1918, Americans were being killed in World War I, in addition to a deadly Spanish flu epidemic. The Colque Moose Lake Forest Fire of October 12th to 15th was one of the most destructive forest fires in Minnesota's recorded history. Mm -hmm. This took place on cutover land. The stumps and waste that remained after the great pine forests of northeast Minnesota were harvested for lumber. The area's timber industry used crude slash methods in the thick forests, leaving behind dry scraps that were perfect kindling for wildfires. Now, by slash, they weren't writing slash fiction to fight the fire. No, and it wasn't slash from Guns N' Roses. Roses. They didn't employ him. Although he is crude. 
He was crude, that yeah. slash. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was know. Wolverine is what they're talking about. Oh, they okay. had Wolverine gotcha. go in there and gotcha. cut all the wood down. Yeah. Got it. They also tended to leave these scraps lying around the rail lines that carried wood from the lumber mills. Since train engines of the time often gave off sparks, fires were nearly inevitable. Mm. It's consisted of five or six major fires and several smaller ones. Approximately 8,000 inhabitants evacuated ahead of the oncoming flames. Mm-hmm. Many residents attempted to flee the raging flames by driving down Highway 73 south of the Kettle River. A sharp curve on the road proved to be too difficult to maneuver for drivers speeding from the flames surrounding them. Right. And at least 15 vehicles went off the road, resulting in 25 deaths. Casualties? 453 Whoa. human casualties. But all from this train crash? From the fire. Oh, Okay. The damage, 38 towns and villages were destroyed, 4,000 houses, 6,000 barns, and 40 schools all went up in flames. 38 towns and villages. Was that one that like yeah. burnt half of New Brunswick down, only damaged five towns or something? And with that Australia one, I guess this must be a more this is densely Minnesota. populated... This is Minnesota. There I are only five towns in New Brunswick. <laughs> yeah. I don't recall the reputation Minnesota has of being densely populated, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Got two more. 1936, Kersha II in Russia... Kersha 2. Kersha 2 was an industrial community in the central Meshchora Ryazan Oblast. Okay. Oh, that's got blast right in the title. <laughs> well, Oblast is apparently like a province or a state. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Everything there burns eventually. Oh, blast. More than 1,000 lived in this woodcutter settlement during the 1930s. Trains transported wood to Tumskaya, where it was finished. A narrow gauge railway ran from the Trans Mistura, uh Trunk Railway to Kersha 2. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of August 1936, a firestorm started near Cheris to the south of Kersha 2. There used to be Kersha 1, but it burnt down. Maybe. Mm-hmm. The firestorm extended to the north, growing in intensity to become a crown fire. Ooh. A fierce conflagration that consumes fuel from the forest canopy. At the beginning of the conflagration, during the night, an empty train came to the Kersha 2 depot. The train crew offered to evacuate children and women from the settlement, but a dispatcher ordered wood be loaded into the train. Wow. Nope, we're good. Mm-hmm. So Way more important to save this wood. The casualties from this fire was 1,200. Mm-hmm. All the townspeople perished except 20 who managed to hide from the fire in a, in a pond, wells, wow. uh, a channel, and on an unforested hill. Ironically, the train was also burnt with no survivors. Oh. Ah, there you go. Because so, they put all that wood on it. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Probably burned very well. Well, I mean, if I've learned anything from our Stalin and Ivan Terrible episodes, wood is more valuable in Russia than people. Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. To them. To someone. To, to someone in Russia. To the, one, to the ones that own the trains. Yeah. Surprisingly, you'll find... That somebody did care about a peasant? News of the tragedy was not widespread. Uh, I see. And the only reminder of this event was a common grave near the ruins of the locomotive depot. And it's commemorated with the largest funeral urn right. of all time. Yes. Where they just like shoveled the entire townsfolk <laughs> in there. They're in there somewhere. Yeah. Put it on the really giant mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. And finally, the 1871 Wisconsin-Michigan Peshtigo fire. Mm. Or Peshtigo. Pêche to go. That's a uh, um, French fish that you order and take oh, home with you. Oh, I thought it was Je- uh, <laughs> I thought it was Joe Pesci on the run. Ah, I mm. see. Oh, that, that's a movie. Pesci to go. Yep. This firestorm roared across 3.7 million acres in Wisconsin and Michigan, mm-hmm. obliterating a dozen towns with flames so intense that they jumped several miles over the Green Bay. The fire jumped yeah. miles. Yeah. It you would have to have been windy, what? and it would be small brands picked up. Yep. Carried across. Yep. Like burning and, cinders. Yeah. Oh. And with so much heated air moving with it, it would have moved very fast. 
and wouldn't have blown out the cinders. Yeah. Wow. Well, that I am surprised by that. The blaze was sparked by railroad workers clearing land for new tracks during bone-dry summer weather. After the fire, they called it not-so-green bay. Peshtigo fire happened the same night of the Great Chicago Fire. Oh. Which left the Peshtigo fire in the back burner of history. Back burner. Oh. Right, because oh. Chicago burned instead of yeah. a, a, a bunch of wildlands. Yeah. Well, with a couple of towns sprinkled in between. Peshtigo had a single horse-drawn steam pumper for fighting fires in the sawmill, but there was virtually no other technology available for fighting structure fires, much less a forest fire of such great magnitude. I'll tell you, fire had a good day. That was a good day for fire. That was a good day they were fire. They were in the wind column on a couple of different levels for fire that day. Ooh. Oh, man, fire must have just been so smug the next day. Oh, it must have oh, been just... Oh, just insufferable. Imagine you're hanging out at the fireplace and fire's just taunting you, just staring you down, just like, mm, what did you do yesterday? Man, I burned like half of Wisconsin and all of Chicago. The people were essentially trapped in the town, surrounded by wooden buildings and sidewalks, sawdust-strewn sawdust streets, and a burning forest. Mm. Some have suggested that the fires were caused by a shower of meteorites, fragments from the impact of Comet Biela. Mm. But this theory has been discounted by experts. Mm. Right. Casualties? An estimated 1,500 people died in the fire. Though since many population records were burned, it's impossible to get an exact figure, and the toll could have been high as 2,500. Right. The worst recorded forest fire in North American history. Casualty-wise. Yeah. That's how we're that's, measuring that's the, the worst. That's the most... The mostest and the biggest. Oh, man. Oh. And that has got to suck. You're, you're stuck inside a wooden town mm-hmm. with sawdust paved streets. Yep. And yep. the entire forest around you is burning. And yep. you're just like, well. God, it's hot out. Yep. I mean, it's you're hot. in Wisconsin, right? You know? <laughs> is it just me or is it hot today? If I'm dying, I'm dying to a naked twister. Who's with me?
But there is showing through You clap hands and I'll start bowing We'll do all the laws allowing Tomorrow I'll be right back plowing Setting the woods on fire In the news November 2012, Canberra, Australia Okay the world's first confirmed case of a fire tornado has been documented by Canberra researchers using evidence collected from the devastating 2003 Canberra bushfires. Fire-nado! Fire-nado! Researchers have long speculated about the ability of a fire to produce a tornado, but until now they have not been able to scientifically prove it. The study involved collecting a vast quantity of evidence from the Canberra bushfires and has been published in the scientific journal Natural Hazards. Ooh, this is like your kind of journal torn. I know. Into it. We, should, uh-huh. we should get a Caustic Soda subscription. That, no yeah. kidding. Could I, you please donate that subscription to us? It was. Hazards? It's your bedtime reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the things I don't keep me in my bedroom and not going outside. <laughs> yeah. Because out there Precisely. is natural hazards. Yes. yes. Researcher Rick McRae says the fire tornado formed in the ranges west of Canberra before pushing into the city's suburbs. Oh, time oh. for Australian accent. Mm. Uh, <laughs> God. I haven't done one in so long. The one that we looked at showed that as it approached the edge of Canberra, its basal diameter was nearly half a kilometer, and the damage indicates that the horizontal wind speeds around it were in excess of 250 kilometers per hour. Horizontal wind speeds of 250 kilometers an hour. That's a lot of wind. There's also a vertical wind in it at 150 kilometers per hour. Oh, my God. Mm. Tornadoes differ from the whirls often associated with fires. Mm, Okay, yeah. Mm. The fire whirl is attached to the hot ground. A fire tornado, like a true tornado, is attached to the underside of a thunderstorm. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. The study provides crucial information on fire behavior. If only you could get close enough to one of these things to take a picture of it. <laughs> get you one mm-hmm. of those uh, fire suit things, the silvery things, and get close, right? I tell you, they, uh, you know, if it picked one of those cows up in that fire tornado, by the time it plopped down on the other side a few miles away... Them's good eating. Like a luau with a pig. Been uh, tenderized and uh, scorched and, you know, oh, I'm salivating just thinking about it. Our analysis indicates that the tornado had a rating of at least a two on the enhanced Fujita scale of tornado severity. That, of course, Ooh. as we talked about, goes from zero to five, with five being the worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty bad. Uh, it had major effects on the behavior of the fire on the urban edge and had enough force to remove roofs from houses and to blow cars off the road. Nice. Oh, and then, like throws fire at you. doesn't That's light right. your roof on fire. tears your roof off, lights you on fire. That's right. The fire's just like, hey, check this out. <sighs> I got that car off the road. Yeah. It's given us an ability to recreate the behavior of this thing and for the science community, document what a fire tornado may actually be. Now we can finally make fire tornadoes in the lab. Finally. Um, I stand corrected. There are fire nadoes now. If, I, if Hollywood has taught me anything, the U.S. government will weaponize this yep. and use it for... <laughs> You know, not good purposes, and somebody, you know, probably Sean Patrick Flannery or somebody of that ilk, will uh, you know have to stop it. Mr. McRae says he hopes the case will help emergency authorities better understand the nature of bushfires. I remember though, uh, Bill Nye used to do a fire tornado all the time, but I guess that was an artificial one because he had a Bill spinning Nye, fort. Yes. the science guy. Yeah, Bill Nye, the science guy, oh, okay. does a fire tornado. We created a fire tornado on set one time because we were uh, shooting. I don't know if you uh, you know the technology behind compositional visual effects shots where you take different elements and you just kind of layer them over on top of one another yeah. so you shoot the elements separate from one another yeah. and combine them in the final product in a composite in a composite and we had a fire tornado that we needed to recreate so our special effects guy got it going in a bucket and so the fire tornado was about you know two and a half three feet high but in the movie it was oh. like 
Mm. 30 feet high. Wow. Uh-huh. The mag- Hollywood magic. Yeah, we shot it just against a piece of black cloth so you, they could like very easily clip it out and put it into the movie. Yeah. So he, he used it with a, um, uh, basically just, you know, took a, uh, uh, a torch. Yeah. And, and just, you know, uh, put, the reason you put it in a bucket is so you get that cyclonic effect with the mm-hmm. wind. Mm-hmm. It was just forcing wind in there and just blowing a torch farting, off. And, farting, just constantly farting. Yeah, that's right. So we just hooked a pipe up to one of the special effects guys' asses. Right. And uh, that's had why. Meeting, had him eating burritos on the other end. Yeah, we, uh, we wanted it to burn orange, but it burned more greenish. But that's okay. You can color correct that in post. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pop culture? In expectation of this episode, <laughs> I rewatched Bambi. I feel like... There was a kind of an undercurrent of nostalgia. Oh, yeah, Bambi, that's a great movie. Kind of sentiment amongst it's the general a classic. populace. It's a classic. It is absolutely considered a classic. I am here. And I know this position might not be popular. I am here to say it is not a classic. Oh. It is kind of a piece of garbage. It's and a, It's a classic wow. piece of garbage. I hated every minute of it. Every minute. <laughs> every minute was painful, <laughs> more painful than the last. Uh, it is... There is no plot. Nothing happens in this movie. Except Wildfire, presumably. Except uh, presumably Wildfire. And Bambi's mother dies, spoiler alert. Yeah. The entire first half of the film, Bambi walks around and looks at things. Mm-hmm. That is it. Yeah. He walks up and they say, hey, this is a skunk. I'm going to call you Flower. Oh, hey, yeah, I like stiff flowers. And then he spends two minutes... Trying to step over a log. How's the animation? I guess, you know what? Bambi is from 1942. So, by, you know, from that standard, I'm sure the animation is top shelf. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. But this is a total piece of garbage. <laughs> I went back to IMDb and I gave it two stars because wow. I got to bring it down. It's got like an wow. 8.2 on that, on that website and I'm single-handedly bringing it down to where it should be. Which is probably more than the three or four range. This is a total piece of garbage. There's all wow. these mothers with crying children going, don't worry about what Kevin said, dear. But the kids are going, you're right, that movie was bad. <laughs> uh, Bambi's mom gets shot at 50 minutes. 50? Uh, and uh, the uh, the wildfire happens at the 80-minute mark of, like I said, an 82 right. to 83-minute movie. All right. uh, and those are pretty much the only two events in the whole film. Oh, so it's like a Teletubbies kind of thing where just nothing happens? They walk around uh, and make sounds. The first bit is just a super cute little animal meeting other animals and being all cute. And they're actually voiced by actual children, which mm-hmm. was a new thing at the time. Mm. And it's just a safe little it's, it's lulling the children into their sense of security. Look how cute the wilderness is. <gasps> Man is coming. There is no character development unless you count Bambi's desire to procreate after he stops being a fawn as a character arc. Right. But we don't even, even get to see that. Yeah. We didn't even get to see uh, it. You and, I don't need to see deers, uh, animated deers humping. But uh, well, like, the fire in the background, that would have been awesome. Oh, it's, it's just so sweaty. When Joe just said, uh, oh, but man is coming. Be- mm-hmm. Because of this movie, man was ranked the number 20 villain on the American Film Institute list of the 100 greatest heroes and villains of all time. Oh. The hunters come back three times. Right, every season the hunters show up. Right, mm-hmm. so in one season they show up and they start shooting at them, and they all run into the forces where Bambi finds out, run away from hunters. Right, and then the second one, it's him and his mom out there looking at the first blade of grass peeking up through the snow, and then that's where she bites it. Right, and the third time, you know, they show up like where all all the animals are. 
right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, they're fi- They're in, like, the animal haven. They found right. them. Oh. And the prince of the forest is saying, we got to go deeper into the forest to get away from man and blah, blah, blah. But these hunters show up, and they st- – it's comical. I was laughing so hard because they start shooting everything. Like – I'm not a hunter by trade, but I'm pretty sure that when you go out into the woods, you have like a license to shoot a certain kind of animal. And you're Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have a rifle that is designed to make it possible to hunt that animal. And, you know, you go out with a purpose. And I guess they just, in the movie, they stumble upon every animal under the sun and they shoot all of them. I want to bring that porcupine home and stuff Weren't they supposed to be, I know they were, one of the original ideas, but it was rejected, was they were going to show the hunter that started the fire killed by the fire mm. oh okay there you go well i mean uh, that i'll would tell you something that happened <laughs> i'll tell you he uh, they shot birds they shot deer they shot gophers they shot rabbits like wow, all yeah. the, they were shooting trees like the trees were splintering as they were getting shot they were uh maybe they were like, not hunters maybe they're just playing paintball and all their paintballs <laughs> are hitting and killing animals like it was just like it was a, a shooting gallery like the, anything that moved they were going to shoot it yeah. but there's a wildfire the hunters have a campfire and while they're yeah. out shooting every animal on planet earth like a reverse Noah, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, two, two of each. Two of each. While they're out doing that, their campfire, a little wind kicks up and the embers right. go into the bush and right. then it creates this wildfire and the, uh, the, they all just run into a creek. And uh, and the art is gorgeous. The, the, the color palette is gorgeous mm. for the fire. Like all of the artistic stuff is great, but the story and the character. Bleh. Yeah, I only watched the fire clip and I came away from it going, wow, that was really something to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who well, else watched I, a movie? Firestorm. Firestorm. From 1998. Uh-huh. With Howie Long. Uh, with Howie Long. Another all-time classic, right? Who's In Howie the vein Long? of Bambi. Howie Long, XF, uh, ex-NFL or he's now a color commentator for uh, one oh, of the okay. U.S. networks. You Football know, player. I yep. hope no one I work with hears this because I like this movie. Dun-dun-dun. Oh. <gasps> well, How's that? Is it, like, technically accurate? Like, do they do a good job of representing you know, they, what it's They like? do a lot of it. They do pretty well. Some right. of it is, I mean, Hollywood's, they got to do some stuff. There's this scene with a chainsaw that's thrown through the air and stays revving the whole time till it lands in the windshield of a vehicle behind it. There's a uh, fuel tank explodes and flips a camper through the air and lands on uh, sure um, Scott Glenn crushing oh. his legs and ending his firefighting S- career. Uh, this, you know, and I, I went into it going, "There's gonna be stupid stuff, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, I know Howie Long's never offended me. Like people go, "He's a terrible actor. He's he's over the top." And I went, <laughs> "The funny thing is, I'm sure he's not a good actor, but the character he plays when he's the instructor at right. the fire school." Mm-hmm. Is exactly like the jerks I had that were oh, instructors. Nice. Oh. And I went, I don't know if he studied it or if just big muscular just black natural, heads natural come talent. natural to yeah. them. So you like the representation of this because it recall, brought back your post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was sitting there shaking, you know, with a tablespoon full of nerve tonic while yeah. I was kind of doing the thing. Um, well, the, who, what, the wildfire? Some kind of a wildfire? Howie Long plays a firefighter named Jesse Graves. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a smoke jumper, and he's an instructor at oh, a smoke okay. jumping academy. Ah. And um, meanwhile, William... Yes. William Forsythe. Looks exactly like the characters he's born to play. Right. He's he's in prison. He's heisted $37 million. He's hit it. Mm. He's hired his lawyer to get him out. And what they're going to do is they're lighting a forest fire. And mm. at the as time a, of the story... As part of the escape plan? Well, no. Um, this particular state they're in, I think it's Wyoming, mm. are using convicts. 
the the really oh, the ones fires. that are considered safe are being used on on groups to to fight fires. So he Got manages it. to right. insinuate himself right. in a team oh, yeah. into this group of convicts. Okay. So that's going to get that's going to give him the opportunity to escape. Right. Got it. So Howie Long's up in a helicopter for some reason looking down. He sees a bunch of these smoke jumpers or a bunch of these uh, um, wildland firefighters running through the woods. He goes, oh, these guys got separated from their team. He jumps out of the helicopter because he's going to go save them. And now he's stuck with these guys. And they have a woman with them who's an ornithologist they've taken hostage. And they're not letting mm-hmm. him know they're bad guys. And there's a chase and there's parachuting onto the Stalamus Chief Mountain because this was filmed locally. Uh, and by locally, we mean in British Columbia, in and around the Vancouver environs. Right. So there's an ornithologist in this movie? Yes. The, the, um, She's studying... The granddaughter from Titanic plays an ornithologist in this. I have no idea who the actress is. I've never seen her again. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, she's studying uh, Stellar's Jays. Susie, <laughs> uh, Susie Amos. Amos. Tough as nails. She's beating these guys up. She's mm-hmm. She's putting a pretty good show in barry pepper's in it another local lad from here and he plays this really creepy convict who's in jail for uh he's a rapist okay and he's coming on to her going hey you know when this is over why don't you come to my place i took some cooking courses i'll make you dinner and he's really good at creeping you right out it is not a good movie i would give it for most people i'd give it a four out of a ten but i was able to just sit down and go hey you know and it's got Scott Glenn in it, uh, like his his previous movie Backdraft. He's he's the guy who lights the fires in oh, this. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Spoiler. There were some some good fire scenes, some good parachute scenes. Uh, T- technically, it was technically I, I was good. Yeah, all right. I'd say good. Right. I, it was it was so good of a by disaster. my scale, still better than Bambi. Kevin, you work in the film industry locally. I don't know if you remember. Uh, there was a parachutist in the film, Keith Parapakil. Par- okay, can't even spell it. Pronounce his parachute name. Parachute kill. Parapelkin, yeah, he died after his main shoot didn't open, filming the scene where uh, oh. Howie Long jumps out onto the Stalinist chief. Mm. Well, yeah. stunt guys, they uh, they do get paid very well, and for a reason. The, the stunt was performed dangerous. in violation of the Canadian filming permit. They didn't have oh. the, uh, the rights to do what they were oh. doing. I'm sure shame, somebody shame. got in trouble. Who saw Always? I've seen Always. I saw it a while ago. Is there a fire in it? There is, because they are firefighters. They, uh, you know, drop water on fires. Dreyfus is an aerial firefighter who flies a war surplus A-26 bomber dropping fire retardant slurry to put out forest wildfires. Uh, but dead. Uh, Richard Dreyfus dies, and then, but his ghost is, you know, haunting. Yeah. Oh, I've so blocked this out. Torrin Lejorn just looks surprised. What? You're looking at me askance. I didn't like, know there was going to be ghosts in this movie. Yeah. There's a ghost in this movie. All right. Yeah, there, it, uh, Does the ghost fight fires? And how good is it? How well, good is it at fighting fires? Well, Richard Dreyfuss is, uh, you know, he's 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 he got really scout. He can just pattern. walk through the fire and say, "Oh yeah, it's here's, there's something you know, in it here." It all takes place in the airplane. They're 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 the dive bomber types. Bullshit. Whoa, wow! You, just because of like all of a sudden there's a ghost in the plane. I want to see ghosts fighting fires. Well, you know, I mean, he's in the plane. He's like he's like Jesus is my co-pilot kind yeah. of thing. You know, Alan, would you like to have a ghost on your firefighting squad? He wouldn't take up a lot of room. Yeah, be yeah. As long as he's witty and charming, and you could send him yeah. to dangerous places yeah, to scout sure. ahead. Yeah. Hey, let me know if there's explosives in that house. Yeah, done. Yeah. Uh, in you go. This is a story Kaboom. I wanted always. Yeah. and a ghost yeah. comes out. Yep. There's some text here. Does that actually say his ghost barber? His supernatural barber, Audrey Hepburn. Oh, Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn is oh, this was her last barber. role, as I recall. Was it not? Her last mm. role in a Hollywood film, Audrey Hepburn as Ghost Barber. <laughs> that should be the name of this film. Always. So, How about know, I, I, sometimes, but rarely. Barney's version. I've watched it. I've read it yeah. as well. Okay. I've, I've, it is, I think it is brilliant Canadian literature. Got Paul Giamatti in it. Uh, I mean, the book is not as good. It's Mordecai Richler, who's mm-hmm. a, a literary figure of note. Why is it called Barney's version? 
because it's told from the perspective of the lead character, who's Barney. He's telling okay. his side of the story. And where's the wildfire? It happens, oh, 50 years before the book is written, mm-hmm. in the 50s or 60s. Barney is on his third wife. Like, literally on. Well, sorry, no. When the fire <laughs> yeah, happens... Right. He's just, he wears her like a backpack. <laughs> when the fire happens, he's he's married to a woman he hates. In fact, through the entire book, he only refers to her as the second Mrs. Panofsky. Mm-hmm. You never even find out her name. She's mm-hmm. just the second Mrs. Panofsky. She's played by Minnie Driver in the movie, and she does a really great job. And he has a cabin up in the woods, and his friend uh, Boogie Moskowitz, Moskowitz or Moskowitz, is mm-hmm. uh, recovering from a heroin addiction. And he's he comes to stay at Barney's place where he has no influence around him where he can get back on the junk yeah because it's a cabin way out in the middle of nowhere yeah barney comes up to the cabin and he finds boogie and the second mrs panofsky in bed Uh oh and barney's delighted because now he's he can get a divorce (laughs) this is just awesome you're starting to get the picture why paul giamatti was perfect for this role barney's not a nice guy by the way he's not a nice guy Uh he's a uh uh film and television producer but he's a real hack yeah his his famous tv show is called o'malley of the north and it's about a uh, an RCMP officer in Canada, and it's played by Paul Gross, O'Malley of, of the course, North. Of course, yeah. And the directors for O'Malley of the North are Adam McGoyan and David Cronenberg. <laughs> Uh, two, two of probably Canada's yeah. most famous film directors. This is from yeah. 2010. This sounds like a movie I might want to check out. And they get into a fight, and they're outside on the ground, on the property, and they're fighting. And Boogie just wants to go for a swim. He's got his scuba fins and his mask, and and he just goes, "That's it." And he walks out to the end of the dock, and Barney has a gun. And he's just going to fire it over Boogie's head. But he's he's drunk and he's been hit. The gun goes off. He falls down. Boogie falls into the water. And Boogie's never seen again. Mm. And the police spend the next, you know, 30, 40 years pursuing him for murder charges. Mm. In the background, through the whole early part of the movie, they're at the lake and there's forest fires. And the water bombers keep coming in. Oh, okay. And, refuel- oh. and, and filling up at the lake. Oh. Well, as the movie ends, there's a news story where they find a body on a mountaintop with a oh. snorkel and a set of flippers. Impossible. Yeah. But I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, a good book and a decent movie. Dustin Hoffman's in it. But, I mean, I, I recommend Mordecai Richler for a lot of his works. He wrote uh, um, Desmond Tutu. Not Desmond Tutu. <laughs> Jacob Tutu. Jacob, Jacob Tutu in the Hood and Fang. Fang. <laughs> Desmond Tutu and the, the Hooded, Hooded Fang. Fang. That's a That's great sequel. To be, to be done. The, yes, absolutely. It's unfortunate Mordecai Richler is no longer with us. Otherwise, the long thought, the long. Couldn't you just go through the book and replace Jacob with Desmond? Yeah, but all the illustrations. <laughs> oh, you have to redo right. all the illustrations. Right. I'll convert them. Oh wow! Just, I, this is a Caustic Soda Special Edition coming out. Desmond Tutu and the Hooded just Fang. Invert the color. He had yeah. white skin and dark hair. Yeah. And oh, Desmond Tutu's got can, gray oh. hair and black skin. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while undergoing surgical debridement. To comment on episodes and for links and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. To support the podcast, you can donate on our site or visit patreon.com slash causticsoda. 
Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcasts. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Is it heart rendering? Does it render your heart? Heart rendering? Yes. Like like a like a pig. <laughs> okay. Uh, Does it take your heart and turn it into a pool of melted fat? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> We're amusing ourselves. We don't need to put this in the show. That was particularly ill taste. Yeah, Joe, Joe's just sitting over here going, "I'm not part of these guys." Well, that it's so me. funny because like as soon as, as I, I I heard you say it, I looked up and I saw Tor like like that. I went, "Oh, he thought the same thing I did," but I'm not going to say it. And then he said it. Yeah, can we get a break so we can cut that out? <laughs>